Welcome to Movies Are Life. I'm your host, Nathan Chandler. Did you know that the action is the juice? Today, we will be discussing the 1995 crime thriller, Heat, with today's guest, Brandon McMinn. How are you doing, Brandon? Great. Thank you for having me, Nathan. I'm so excited. As we go into this conversation about this film, uh, I'm going to give you credit. You're, you're the one that brought this up, but I thought it was a great pick because director Michael Mann just released a new novel, Heat 2, uh, this past August with co-author uh, Meg Gardner. Um, and I, I really haven't dug into what made him, you know, decide to pen this book because it's just going to be a, the novel. You know, it's not going to be a movie. But um, what, what made you want to discuss this movie? Well, first of all, I'm, and this is going to become very evident very quickly. I'm a huge super fan of this film. Um, this is also something that's followed Michael Mann's career. He originally did a version of this called LA Takedown for, it was a pilot that didn't get picked up. So they made it into, I believe a TV movie and it has all the same characters, I think in the same germ. And then he created heat. And I think this is just something that's been threaded through his career. And I'm a big Michael Mann fan as well. So these characters they jump in your head and they live there they and they live rent free for a very long time in my case and so i think that the idea of 20 odd years later we're going to come back and pick them back up and it's a prequel and a sequel the book is so we're going to delve more into vince and neil and then also go forward with chris and all that kind of stuff I was so jonesed about it. I haven't been excited about a book coming out in quite a while that, um, I mean, you know, somewhat, whatever. I'm like, ooh, new John Corey. Okay, whatever, Nelson DeMille, leave me alone. But this thing, when I saw it was coming, I was like, I'll go to a bookstore. I'll stand in line at Barnes & Noble. No, don't need you, Amazon. I'm there first day. So I'm, I'm very, very psyched about not only the book, but the story. And I think, you know, just it's one of those iconic films I think of from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for I just wanted to give a little background. So there may be some some listeners who haven't seen Heat, but it it's basically a cat and mouse chase between a seasoned LA detective, Lieutenant Vincent Hanna, played by Al Pacino, and a veteran thief, uh, Neil McCauley, uh, played by Robert De Niro. And so during this uh, heist that starts the film, one of the members of McCauley's crew unknowingly leaves a clue at the scene of the crime. And that just kind of starts the uh, the plot and the action of this film. And it brings this unwanted and focused attention on McCauley and their future operations from the LAPD. Uh, Hannah and McCauley are, are obsessive and passionate about their pursuit to get what they want. Uh, a respect is actually formed amongst these two men. And even though they both know that the end result of their game could result in deadly consequences, they move forward. Uh, I hope that's kind of a decent synopsis <laughs> of the movie. But uh, before we dive into this discussion, I just wanted to you know, forewarn our listeners that we will talk about this film as if you've seen it. So you, you make it seem like you've seen this film uh, numerous times, but why do you like this movie so much? Um, that is a fantastic question. And it's funny because I'm going to have to separate my answer. And if I go on too long, you just tell me when to shut up. Now okay. I, I can, I can gush. <laughs> um, honestly, this film has nostalgia for me because I saw it in theaters with my older brother okay. when I was a kiddo, uh, a kiddo, I was like 14. Now watching it as a father, it's a little different, uh, my reaction to it, but I'm still enthralled with it because the, the, I think, and maybe this is just my experience as growing up as a young man, the, the mano y meno machismo just threaded it through this movie. The idea mm -hmm. that they're just, they're equals on the same, they're the flip side of the same coin, basically. And that, you know, De Niro plays uh, Neil with such compassion for his friends 
even though he states his whole ethos in life is drop it if you need to and run. I mean, he has that iconic line that De Niro just nails about you got to have never have anything in your heart or your life. You can't walk out of it in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he cares about almost everyone in his life and stuff. Pacino is the, quote, good guy, you know, Vincent Hanna. But he's a wreck, you know. I mean, in the original script of this, he is a massive cocaine habit, which is why Pacino is shouting through half the movie. <laughs> um, that's not just a choice Pacino made because of his lifestyle. That's that's canon. Um, but to me, the play of these guys' lives, the similarities of social interaction, friendships, what – what one does in response to the other and how it just destroys everything else in their world is very compelling to me. And that's, that's a horrible outlook on life. This is not a happy movie in any way, <laughs> shape or form. Um, but that's always been, I, I mean, I come back to this movie a lot. There's a couple of movies in my life that I'll come back to and watch over and over again, because I find that this is such, and I think this is a testament not only to the performances, which we'll get to, but also Michael Mann and his directorial style. This is a very layered movie. Mm-hmm. And you, the acting is wonderful. The, the action's phenomenal. Everything's great about it. But you can get involved. There's enough going on around peripherally of these two men's journey that you can find new things the more you watch it. So that's a huge long answer to your question. So no, 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 I, I, no. I think it's great because, yeah, on the surface, as you get into it, you know, it, it feels like a simple uh, bank heist movie but you know uh like you as you mentioned uh just kind of being obviously we're not quite as old as what their characters are but i I was able to take in a little bit more of just their um they've kind of just resigned themselves of to like they are who they are Uh, and i I could very much relate to it not that you can't change but i do think you know there's a certain you know in your twenties, you're still trying to kind of like fit a certain lifestyle and stuff. And I do think you get to a certain place uh, around our age where you're like, Hey, this is who I am. I'm comfortable with who I am. Um, and so, uh, like I totally kind of bought into that concept and these guys, and that's where that kind of respect kind of grows. Um, I think it's kind of ironic, even though, you know, this is a audio podcast, so you can't see us, but we didn't <laughs> plan this, but, um, uh, I have a OU shirt on, uh, you have the Texas Longhorn shirt on. So I think it's very fitting for our conversation that, I know. And we're, we're talking about two men on opposite sides. And I think it's very obvious who the good guy and the bad guy is. And I think that while I respect you, brother, you are going down. No, it's all right. I, just, I promised myself I was not going to do a Pacino impersonation. And there it is. I apologize. Well, I, I you know, it's tempting for me. Um, so I hadn't seen this probably since college. It's just, okay. it's been a while since I've seen it. Honestly, to the point of that, I couldn't quite remember uh, how it ended. Like, I, oh, I, wow. I, yeah, so I remember the gist of it. So um, even uh, the scene where he walks into the hotel and his uh, stepdaughter's in the bathtub, like I co- I completely <laughs> went like, oh yeah. Cause I, I do think this movie almost pulls a bait and switch on you of, um, it's it definitely starts going like a lot deeper than you anticipate probably into the later half. Cause you really start to see the true consequences of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of what their relationship to their job does to the relationships <laughs> with the, the people in their lives and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I was, I was really surprised even to the point of like, I couldn't quite, um, 
I, you know, obviously De Niro is a bad guy. I don't think man is trying to say that Pacino is necessarily uh, the good guy either, you know, yeah. but, but to the point of like, I, you know, I wasn't quite sure how he wanted to leave off this movie as like who the you know true victor is. And I think with them at the end of just grasping hands, like for a quick second, it's yeah. like a, a show of respect, but it's also just kind of just another uh, acceptance of their fate. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think, and I mean, we can go ahead and jump all over the place. Cause you've already, as we've warned you, if you haven't seen this movie, you're way too deep in this podcast already. Let me just put it that way. Right. right. Um, the ending of the film, this is one of those true, like, I think this is very brilliant if this is done well. I think it's attempted often and fails mostly. About an hour and 15 minutes in when they sit down and have coffee, they're like, hey, here's the ending. Hey, audience, mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. They both tell each other, very frankly, if I ever see you again, I'm probably going to kill you. And mm -hmm. that's where they go. The movie yeah. literally, I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's brilliant. It's very, very entertaining. But they get to that point and they have telegraphed it about an hour ahead. And so for them to get there and it be as I found very satisfying, not only on just like a cat and mouse thriller epic, like the showdown between the characters level, but also like you're talking about, you know, they they both are stalking each other. The gun goes off. He's dying. They grab hands in this mutual respect. He just looks at him and says, I told you I wasn't going back. He's like, yeah. And there's mm -hmm. nothing else to say. Yeah, because that's like that's who these guys are. They're not they're not going to sugarcoat the situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I found that I found that ending very, very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, and uh, clear like the um, the first the first heist that starts the film it is, um, you know, it, it's captivating. It's a it's a little different than most, you know. It's not necessarily a bank robbery, which it goes into later, but that whole scene of the big bank robbery and how that goes, I it's it, because it had been, uh, it was ironically using the word triggered, but it, it triggered my memory of that scene once it started going, but I, I hadn't mm -hmm. quite remembered just <laughs> how many gunshots in the street that happens, but just how, yeah. um, I mean, I appreciated his direction as far as like, you know, that whole scene is chaos. Obviously, as a director, you know, it's um, it, it's not quite like a Bruck, uh, Bruckenheimer film where it's just like mm -hmm. fast and it's all the thing. Like there's a clear direction and he does a really good job of capturing the chaos of the moment. And it looks sporadic, sure. but you could it's actually a very well choreographed scene. And uh, I mean, from that point on it, uh, I do think uh, it brings it a little bit more. A suspenseful element of the you know of the movie for sure yeah um, i think one of the things and it's i mean of course we're going to talk about that iconic bank robbery shootout scene because so i'm going to geek out on you because i've done a little research on the movie yeah number one they actually showed that scene to marines in training for oh, wow. it's a concept it's called retreat under fire okay. and apparently because man does this with his actors he makes them go to real training with power weapons and whatnot so good was De Niro and Kilmer's interaction with each other. They're like, this is a textbook example of what this looks like. Now, Marines are trained for warfare. This is taking place in the downtown LA. So it's funny because that scene, that was the one that I had such a different reaction to now as an older father. As mm -hmm. a kid, you're like, oh my God, get the popcorn. They're going to do the bank scene. It's so wonderful and everything. <laughs> now I'm like, that's, I mean, and, and to be fair, testimony to real life, that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. 
doesn't take away from the movie at all. I'm not trying to say that I'm not an advocate that, that for anything of that kind, but um, just my reaction was different. And I felt that being like, that's, that's really interesting. Like stages of life. Mm -hmm. Like, um, but, but going back to the, the, the scene itself, one of the things I love about Michael Mann is that guns right out of bullets in his movies, you know, oh, someone's yeah. shot. They don't, they, they don't, it's not like as much as I love John McClane, he gets shot and just keeps on going. These <laughs> guys get shot, fall to the ground and immediately seek medical attention. You know, it's mm -hmm. the, like you say, it's chaos incarnate, but the realism factor is so good that it made me, it, it, I was distracted. I'm not articulating this very well. No, you are. The movie, the movie designs you to feel so much for Dennis Habert's character. Almost yeah. every scene he's in, he's getting crapped on. Yeah. And, and he's just trying to get his life together. When it finally overblows for him and he has an opportunity to turn back to crime because De Niro finds him in the coffee shop, he's like, yeah, let's do this. And then, of course, he gets horribly, horribly shot in this escape attempt. It's just you know it's just screwed from get-go it's not going to work out mm -hmm. um as i felt for him and the movie wants you to feel for him i also turned milliseconds later to the police officers that de niro's mowing down and mm -hmm. you feel for them i mean it's such an interesting thing that the way that this movie was made in the 90s like this is the guy you care about we don't care about these other characters they're all red ensign larry's from star trek and none of them are making it back don't right. worry about it it's just window dressing I, I mean, I don't know if it's just me or if it's the way we look at things now, but I'm like, oh man, I feel for those guys too. Like, this is these are horrible people doing horrible things. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's not designed to make you feel that way. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, just of uh, you know, basically the lot that is given to us in life, and I, this story very much is just it's an it, interesting take on this genre because uh, most of them you mentioned, kind of die hard is you know is a here's the good guys here's the bad guys and this mm. one blends it a little bit more of saying like <laughs> we're just all kind of in this like rat race uh basically trying to survive and using what we you know interpret as our talents our purpose in life and you know it's it's almost kind of depressing in a way that <laughs> these two main characters you know except <laughs> except what they you know what they are what they do in life and uh not that they're not trying to achieve something but um you know these they've just decided to lean all into their roles and just focus yeah. on on being perfect in that because if they if they're not perfect in that they i don't think they feel like they can um succeed outside of their roles oh, uh, whether, totally. whether that be their marriage or sure. you know children or whatever like that so yeah well, i think you can you can easily see that they, they even take that moment in the hospital with pacino he looks at his wife and she i mean she's like trying like is there anything for us and he's like nah you nailed it all i am is what i'm chasing and i'm okay with that because they even say the coffee show he's like you know i don't know how to do anything else and then he looks around and says i don't want to do anything else mm -hmm. which is i think uh, i think that's a great call out because i agree with you to like this stage of life that we're in you know like this is our life and this is who we are and this is what we're trying to be and we're trying to succeed on all these fronts but these guys are like this is the thing and everything else is not even secondary third to fourthly like yeah. you know yeah so yeah i think that's a great call out yeah um and i i'm obviously pacino has had the reputation uh that he has as an actor and i had even just forgotten like um i don't know why i hadn't equated his uh, uh 
insane personality, so to speak, um, to this movie. I, mm -hmm. I, for some reason, I mentally go to more like a sense of a woman or oh, yeah. even uh, the devil's advocate and stuff. And so, I mean, those scenes, I just, even the opening scene where he is like, uh, you know, arrives at the scene, at the crime scene, and he's, you know, talking to all his, you know, officers and stuff. I'm like, I'm like, man, he just, he commands this movie so much. And uh, the lines in here, I mean, this is balance of like, uh, just being so over the top, uh, but you, you laugh, but it, it also, I, I just, if I ran into someone like this in like real life, I, I don't even know how I would respond. And then, <laughs> and, and, and then, and then going like turning to somebody and going, wait, he's the head of a police department. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that is a hundred percent true. There's like, there are so many, like, I love the scene when he's in the nightclub at like three in the morning talking to uh tone loke and he just picks up the phone and he calls and there's like seven dudes at hq ready to take his call and he's like all right let's get surveillance with this i want it up and running and they're like you got it dude and they all just start working I'm like don't these guys like this what kind of overtime budget does his unit have this is crazy <laughs> well and even when he uh you know, it just seems seemingly he can just grab a chopper ride whenever uh, he wants to. <laughs> I uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to survey the scene. Uh, but I appreciate. Uh, and he just gets that car at one point. You know, right before he pulls De Niro over. Um, oh yeah, there's yeah. another guy here. Yeah. I'll just drop a Ford Taurus on the side of the road. Yeah. I'll, by the way, come get me whenever. I just, I just <laughs> hang here whenever you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think people would also just enjoy. I mean, I remembered that this had a pretty like all-star cast. I remembered you know Val Kilmer sure. being in it and Tom Sizemore, but even as the movie starts, I mean, I I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like. I can't think of another uh, movie that has so many uh, famous yeah. actors. And um, even like recently, we, we haven't finished it yet, um, but we've been watching The Old Man with uh, Jeff Bridges. But uh, have you seen that show yet? No, no. I haven't. Oh. It's a good But uh, yeah, it, it, it's real good so far. Uh, but Amy, uh, Amy Brennerman is uh, oh, yeah. in, in The Old Man as well. And like she popped up and I was like, oh my gosh, she's like this movie. And uh, even you mentioned uh, Tony Loke and uh you know of course william fickner seemed to be in any every 90s yeah. movie like this <laughs> and so and even henry rollins and hank exaria hank exaria i know so, yeah. yeah i think it, that must be like from the just the power and the influence uh michael mann had to assemble such a um all-star cast but they're not just it's not just typecasting and being like oh who's this but you know oh look yeah. at this famous person like everybody fits the, their roles like so you know so well um so absolutely uh, and i think that it's you know it's important to call out when this movie was released it was like this was before you know where we are now with pacino and de niro's career where one of them showing up in sandler movies the other one's doing pretty much mm -hmm. any offer he gets um this was when these guys were titans and they were top of their game and they'd never been in in a movie before like mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. and it was marketed that way like it was like yeah. hey come see us in fact i think that some people were even disappointed i mean they had like one scene together because um i mean they were i'm trying to think of a parallel but we don't really do that anymore you mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah like, it would be like 
if we had a movie today with Daniel Day-Lewis and Daniel Day-Lewis, that would be the comparison of what you were looking for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a little different too now because, um, you know, prestige TV is such a big thing now that yeah. it's not, it's not uncommon to see, you know, uh, a Meryl Streep, like in a TV show, like sure. a limited series and that sort of thing. So like actors now, now it's almost like more, um, you know, they have, it almost there used to be two worlds it's like you're either in film or you're in tv mm -hmm. uh and i just like i mentioned just i mentioned the old man jeff bridges i mean like mm -hmm. you know now it's just it's not uncommon for that to happen and so yeah i mean i still felt the weight of them just you know i i didn't even i forgot you had mentioned that just that one scene and i guess you could say the end scene of them mm -hmm. together and stuff like that but i thought the themes were so strong that even though they weren't in a lot of scenes together i feel like they were still acting off of one another if that makes sense like it, I, it, I totally get that yes yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah it's almost like uh if you had like a, <laughs> a a ceo you've never met you always feel that presence there even though you, <laughs> may, you may have never yeah. interacted with that person but well i think that that's one of the things that they get across that like you know, Pacino is constantly referring to all these other cases he works on, stuff like that. But even I think John Voight, who John Voight, what is he doing here? Awesome. <laughs> um, you know, he even says at one time, like, oh, well, the, you know, he thinks you're sharp to, to, to De Niro, he's his character. Um, like, there is a respect that goes out to both these guys. Like, instantly, De Niro's like, this is, I've never worked against this kind of level of PD. I got I to gotta step up my game. And, you know, the, the way that they go after it, I think. It's especially good in the scene where he tricks them into revealing them the, the police. He, De Niro tricks the police in revealing them to the bad guys, and Pacino just starts laughing. He's like, "Is this guy good or what?" You know, and they, <laughs> you almost look at them like smiling at each other from two miles away. So the yeah. film definitely plays it as though that they are in sync with one another. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, is there a? I, I, I want to talk about one character, but then I want to ask like a character that stands up. But I, 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 I like it too, because there are so many people, but um, man does a great job of creating scenes for certain characters and you right away uh, understand who they are and like what they do. But even in that uh, big bank high scene, we were talking about when the Tom Sizemore character grabs the kid as mm -hmm. the shield right there, you know, that, that explains so much of his mm -hmm. <laughs> personality. Yeah. But then also yes. in turn, I think that the fact that Pacino was willing to shoot uh, yeah. the character while that character was holding a child says so much about like how much his care Pacino's character is willing, what he's willing to do to catch these guys. Like he, he, he didn't really hesitate at all to think like, Hey, that kid. I know. Yeah. But I yeah. think, I think lesser directors would have like really harped on the fact that that was the kid. Uh, you know, like we would have gotten mm -hmm. probably several scenes of them playing in the park first. And then even sure. after afterwards, like running and he doesn't focus on that, but that scene, that scene says so much within, it's not just a shoot them up action scene, but um, is there like a moment like that, that really stands out to you or like a character uh, that <laughs> it wow. might be less. Yeah. No, that is a great question. So good. Um, honestly, I would say that scene, I do agree. And I think it's a great demonstration of Pacino's desperation because it happens right after De Niro and Kilmer mm -hmm. get away. And so yeah. he's like, this one's not getting away. Yeah, I'm going to shoot. Um, 
I always love the scene with um, with Jimmy Piven as the shade tree doctor. <laughs> and when he's like, give me your shirt. He's like, my daughter's like, wait. And De Niro gives him this look like, did I tell you to talk? <laughs> like you're, 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 you're set up to feel sympathy for De Niro's character. And then as you see how he treats anyone that does not matter to him, you just start realizing this is a horrible person, mm. you know? And he even looks at me and he says, if he dies, I'm double the worst trouble you've ever seen, which is a very corny <laughs> line. But De Niro says it with all the presence of 95 De Niro that you're like terrified for Jeremy Piven. <laughs> and that scene, I mean, he just grabs the money, you know, he's got the loot in front of him, he just gives him another stack of bills. And you you see right there that Neil's so morally bankrupt that this is the only currency of life. So mm. this guy's like, well, then my daughter's gave me this shirt. It's my favorite shirt. He's like, not even on my radar, dude. I don't like it. Just shows how I don't know how calloused he is to the outside world that doesn't his he has his monkey sphere and he could not give two wicks about anyone else. Yeah. And so I think that's that's one of those scenes that pops for me. Yeah. Um, I also think this movie, this movie has a lot to say uh, about females, even though this is a very, <laughs> very macho type of movie, but especially towards the end as uh, these women uh, who play major roles in the lives of, you know, their husbands and the decisions that they make. I think that's a really interesting take. I, I don't know uh, do, if this movie is, um, making a commentary on just like how uh, oppressive men are to women or, you know, uh, but just, it, it's interesting how each one, I always felt like, uh, I don't know if you care, but like De Niro's kind of girlfriend. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like she's like just kind of for, forced into, you know, into what happens, even though sure. he's like, he's like saying, make a choice. It seems like he doesn't give her a choice. Um, Chris's, you know, uh, girlfriend or wife, uh, who's played by Ashley Judd, you know, she clearly makes like a decision. She has a chance to so get out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she doesn't do it. Uh, Pacino's wife is more so like in the middle of where, it's it's kind of a mutual uh mutual decision to split ways and i think mm -hmm. that those three different kind of layers is are is very interesting of like you know the consequences of the actions of these men but i agree i, I think that's a very good insight i definitely think that um the women in this film including natalie portman's character uh they are used to demonstrate the collateral damage of these guys choices um but I do think that there's agency given to all three of the ones you mentioned. And I do think I've never really thought about it for as variations on the theme of escape. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting yeah. because I don't, I will say, you know, I feel like Ashley Judd's character had the hardest choice because she was still, there was still a connection where number one, they were parents of the child. Number two, mm -hmm. they, they both talked about like, Kilmer even says at one time, like, I'm not leaving without her. Like, I'm not going to run. She's everything to me. Mm -hmm. um, with De Niro's character and Amy Brenneman's character, I, I felt that there was an attraction there, but they hadn't really interacted that long. And she even says at one point, like, you haven't called in a while type thing. So I think that the film is arguing she's more of his last hope for normality. Like, he says at one point to, to, mm -hmm. to Pacino, like, well, what's a normal life? Baseball games and barbecues? Like, I don't know how to do that. And no. I think she represents this chance to get out of the world, get out of the life that he's trying to escape. 
Although I don't truly think he's trying to escape it. I think he wants to want to escape it, but I mm-hmm. think he, his, his whole value in life is being good at this. He, you know, you got to take scores. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. So I think that the movie is kind of trying to say, these guys don't really love these women with the exception of the child. Mm-hmm. You know, they, yeah. they, they put these women in such secondary places in their world that they're not showing them love and respect that you should. What they're showing them is, look, you sit there and tell you, until I tell you that, that you can come talk to me, I'm, I'm over here doing my thing now and, and I, you stay there. And I think that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very jarring scene, but I think that the scene with Natalie Portman in the hotel in the bathtub is like the knocking them over the head with, with a baseball bat, like, hey, Nimrods, Mm-hmm. These are flesh and blood people that you're ruining by your selfishness type thing. Mm-hmm. And I do yeah. think that that was, again, I mean, it's, I don't want to, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, girlfriend in the fridge deregulation of their character, but I do think that they're making obvious choices to use the women of the film that way. Yeah. And I also think it's funny that the scene where De Niro tells her like, Either you decide, come with me on your own. And he says it to her twice. He says once on the side of the road later on. But when he first says it to her, they're still sitting in her apartment or his, I think his, I can't remember. But he is so menacing. She's just realized through the TV news that he's this killer and all this stuff. And he's like, look, here's what's going to happen. Make your decision. You want to walk out the door. You can so obviously see that this was a pre-Me Too error because he's still threatening her. Like his words are not his technical dialogue is very kind and we're on equal footing. You can leave when you will. No, she can't. Yeah. And she knows that. Yeah. And the, the, the movie setting that up is like, it's, it's neat that they would like frame it that way, that that character was very aware that she had no power in that situation and was still terrified for her life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Great points. Um, so I want to go into this uh, next seg- segment of movie yes. musings, uh, not as uh, not quite as serious as maybe some of the <laughs> the things <laughs> that we that we've hit on. Movie musings. My first question for you is: If you let's say you're a thief, you're a robber, uh, what mask would you choose to wear uh, for the robbery? Wow, what mask would I choose to wear? I would, I mean, I think that the hockey mask is the go-to because it covers the face. Right. I think, though, that I would probably go for um, more of a scary thing if I was a robber because I think fear is a wonderful motivator in these situations. And that's all Batman's premise that he scares people with his appearance. Mm -hmm. So I think, like, in the movie The Town, that Skeletor-looking thing they had, you know, like that kind of bestial, like, ah, jump out and scare you. I think that would probably be where I'd lie if I were was a bad guy. Um, my only other thought, because now I'm now my my intellectual brain's kicking over instead of my guttural. guttural <laughs> I, I think I would also get something that's incredibly not traceable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's something they only make one place and I had to order it and I use my credit card to do it, that's not good thievery. So right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I a lot of movies, you know, they. Uh, is a point break where they use the mask of the politicians, you know? So, yeah, I I think I would stay away from that just because it'd be harder to track those type of Mm -hmm. purchases versus like, you know, your standard hockey mask, you know, like where, you know, where, where could you, you know, where could you purchase that? And so uh, I don't know why that just struck me at that first scene. And then, then they opt for the actual like traditional ski mask, 
you yeah. know, for the the big bank robbery. Although I was really concerned for Chris uh, Val Kilmer's character, like it took him a really long time to uh, put that mask on. But maybe now technology is a little more advanced. There'd probably be more cameras than what was, you know, that were in banks sure. back in '90. But I kept on getting stressed for him, like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> put your mask on <laughs> yeah so um the second question i have for you is you know in this movie and you kind of hit on it a little bit you know they just the main characters talk about this is the this is the only life they know this is mm -hmm. what they feel like they're really good at doing um what is something that you feel like you are really good at doing Oh, wow. Um, well, it's not the Pacino impersonation. Your listeners will know that the second they, they hear this podcast. Um, wow, what is something I'm really good? This is, this is a great question. I think, uh, you know, in my career, I've always been kind of a team lead for, for managing people. And I think that I, I, I flatter myself by thinking I can bring out good from people, be it, you know, raise work, performance, racings. I think that that's something that you know, I don't really know what else I would do if I wasn't in a room talking about, hey, what are our goals and how are we going to get there? Let's get on the whiteboard and do it together. So I think yeah. that's probably where I would go with that. So you're a very extroverted person. That's fair to say. I can't. I can be when the need calls for it. So about every two minutes. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the last one I had for you. Uh, you mentioned. I mean, they they actually. It's. I think it's such a. I kind of wonder if he. Well, I think man definitely did this on purpose. He knew it was such a good quote. He actually repeated it uh, several times <laughs> in the movie. But, uh, you know, De Niro says, uh, <laughs> I almost laughed. It's like, it's almost kind of like, I, th I feel like if you're around his character a lot, we're like, yes, I've heard this story before. <laughs> but, uh, you know, don't let yourself get attached to anything. You're not willing to walk out in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. So my question to you is now let's not go to the, like uh, my wife, my kids or close, sure. you know, but what is something that you think that you could not walk out on in 30 seconds flat? Could not walk out on the 30 seconds flat. Oh, geez. Um, taking, of course, my wife and child off the table. Uh, I, I don't probably photos. Yeah. I haven't digitized stuff from my, from my youth. I have, I have, I have a, and it's not just because it's in my line of sight right now. Like there are some mm -hmm. photos that I would be devastated if yeah. if I lost. You know, I would have to come back for that. Yeah, that's um, a, that's a good one. I would I would have to agree because I uh, I there's a, a external hard drive that I have with like essentially pretty much like everything uh mm. you know back and that's one thing i do like about it is like so many memories are just tied up into one place you know that yeah. i like and always get access to so yeah that's a that's a that's a really good answer so yeah i mean i'm trying to think of anything else that's irreplaceable in that i mean the funny answer would be like my go bag that i keep in my closet which has untraceable money and of course keys to your car but no it would definitely probably be that yeah i have a similar bag but it's to keys to a chopper i, I don't let anybody know what oh, a chopper. Chopper. Look at yeah. that. i know i and it stinks because every time you get a chopper i have to wait on the side of the road while you take my car and drive off for four hours it's just it's a horrible gig <laughs> um how many times do you think you have seen this movie Ooh, good question um i'm gonna say low no high single digits i'll probably go eight or nine okay start to finish start to finish yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely a movie I recommend. I, I do think with the runtime, it, it would take maybe certain people who aren't naturally drawn to 
this kind of uh, you know crime thriller. Um, mm -hmm. Especially, I think I haven't I haven't seen all of Man's films, but he definitely has a pace that's a, you know a lot different. You know, it's a little bit more methodical. You know, as mm -hmm. far as getting into and stuff. Um, so I. I always, I don't know if this is the best thing to always do. I always kind of frame it of whether or not Whitney, my wife would like enjoy this movie or not. And I think she would, if she gave it a chance, I, I do think maybe uh, once the first high scene happens and then it kind of really works on like character development. I wonder if she would, you know, stick with it, so to speak. But um, is this a movie that you recommend like to, that you would recommend to all sorts of different people that like movies or do you think mm. it, it might ostracize certain people? That That's a great question. To be honest with you, I look at movie recommendations. Um, I'm going to geek out on you a little bit because I fancy myself a movie guy. Right. This is a upper, well, this is a graduate level film to watch. If you're going to start, you're going to start your movie watching experience, get yourself some Back to the Future, enjoy yourself some good, you know, stuff like that. Then around senior year, let's work in some of the, you know, other things. This is like up there. Like you need to be a, a savvy movie thing. Because one of the things you're right about Michael Mann is he dares to go slow. And this mm -hmm. is a dying art in cinema right now. But you he wants you to come with them on the journey and pay attention. So are you willing to make that commitment to the film? Cause it is like you said about three hours long, then it could be for you, but I have caveats because this is a very, very macabre film. Mm -hmm. um, it gets dark. It gets dirty. I would not recommend this to my wife. One of her biggest pet peeves in life is she hates when people are mean to each other. And there's not a lot of <laughs> niceness in this film at all. Like yeah. we watched, I, we tried to watch succession and she got about two uh -huh. episodes and she's like, Nope, I'm out. There's not mm -hmm. one redeeming person here. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I know, isn't it great? They're just horrible <laughs> to each other the whole time. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend it to someone who like, I would be like, look, don't try and watch this as soon as the kid goes to bed. You need to have a Saturday where you can devote three hours and you need to know going in that this is just, it's, it's, it's moi, you know, it's, 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 it's a dark brooding look at crime. So it's not going to be, it's not light. It's very hard, very heavy. Like my dad, who he and I used to have very similar movies. He saw this in the theater as well with us and he did not like it and he always goes back he's like i was hanging there as hard as i could when that little girl was in a bathtub i'm like no i don't need movies doing that to me and mm -hmm. i get that i get that my father-in-law is the same way he's a pastor who's retired now but he he um he goes to movies for escapism mm -hmm. so i totally get that yeah i love the i mean i love this movie i would recommend it to those that, that want to give are willing to make those concessions um because it's very character and dialogue based. I'm a dialogue nut. It's like Michael Mann's direction of an Aaron Sorkin script would be like my dream. Like um, you said, you haven't really watched a lot of his watch the insider. It is yeah. so good. It is. There's so much of that movie that does not happen. Mm -hmm. Like that they don't vocalize, but what they do say is so great. And it's another great Pacino performance, but yeah, I would definitely, I would recommend this movie with an asterisk. Right. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm trying to think of a, another man movie that would be maybe a good, like um, kind of palate cleanser to this movie. Uh, I can't, I can't think um, of one off the top of my head, but collateral is uh, very good. And I think that collateral um, collateral is kind of like, Number one, it's the best Tom Cruise performance ever. I don't know why he doesn't play more villains. That guy is a wonderful villain. Um, but I think that that movie shows uh Michael Mann has the trick of being able to frame the camera work to where 
you're willing, you instantly get the whole environment. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not just a lot of long shots too. Like you get, he does very cool stuff with cinematography of things. And most of that movie takes place in a cab and he finds a way to make it interesting visually, which I think is phenomenal in collateral. Um, Palette cleanser, I would say maybe uh, public enemies. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a strong at work, strongest work per se. Um, and I would also put Miami Vice. I think that's uh, Miami Vice. I rank is a very good bad movie. Yeah, it's not a very good flick. The director's cut's much better, but it's it's they're not a great flick. But yeah. there's a lot of great stuff in there. Yeah. Um. I just to throw this out, like uh, to anyone who's listening to this, but. Um, also to you, uh, I'm a big fan of the Ringer uh, podcast network. They, they cover sports, pop culture, all sorts of things. And they have an amazing podcast called The Rewatchables. Definitely mm-hmm. subscribe that. And I would say probably uh, part of the inspiration for this podcast. But the very first one, uh, very first film that they covered was Heat. But they like Heat so much. They've done, I think, three or four episodes on uh, really? Heat. He, yeah. So um, I, I, I should... I'm going to add those links uh, to my website uh, so people can access those if they want to dive deeper. And I think the last one they did is actually an interview with uh, Michael Mann and about the the novel and everything like that. So you, you, you might be interested in that, but. Oh, I'm going to uh, check that out. Yes, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll send you those links for sure. So. Um, I think well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that the, it, it resonates. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And so I, I can't wait to, uh, uh, listen to those again, uh, especially since I've, you know, just recently watched this movie, uh, you know, and, uh, get, try to understand, you know, their perspective. It'll be real, it'll be, it'll be real interesting to check out. So, um, but well, uh, I appreciate you, uh, coming on. I, I know you're really busy. Uh, you have such a cute family and I know it's hard to, you know, watch a three hour movie and then also fit in time to talk about it. So I, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, I appreciate it so much. I had a blast. Thank you so much. It was great. I've had the time of my life doing this podcast, and I've never felt like this before. Next week, we'll be covering the 80s classic Dirty Dancing, starring Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. It's celebrating its 35th anniversary, uh, so I thought it would be fun to uh, revisit this film. Uh, do, do you have any connection to Dirty Dancing? I, it's my wife's like third favorite movie. I'm going to say this just so I can upset your listeners, and then you can salvage this. <laughs> No one puts baby in a corner is the dumbest line in the history <laughs> of cinema. And it's so bad. No one did that. She just said she put herself in the corner. Watch the scene before. And she walks up with her parents and she sits down. And he's like, ah, no one puts her. Oh, sorry. See, now I'm going. Now I'm digressing. <laughs> but, um, you know, I don't think I'm qualified for that one as much as heat. I think more the the horrible action opus is probably my bag. But yeah, yeah. No, my wife loves Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to remind my listeners to visit moviesyourlife.com for episodes, reviews, and more. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast. This helps us discover new listeners. And then Brandon, uh, I'm going to encourage you, just like everybody else, tell your friends about the podcast uh, so, and encourage them to subscribe. So, uh, so now I've got to now I've got to go and practice my dance moves. I, I can't decide if dance moves or maybe my uh, thievery skills. Uh, I don't know which would I'm better apt to doing, but <laughs> we'll see. I, so. think, I think you'd be a natural at both, Nathan. I really do. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, bud.